Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. Well, it's really good to be back with you guys. I took a month off to finish my semester of seminary. It's really good to be back. I am actually recording this episode of All Things in the middle of the night. I'm almost pulling an all-nighter. It's very early in the morning on December 2nd, and I wanted to get this episode recorded for you all so that you would be able to have a chance to process what took place yesterday in the United States Supreme Court. So many of you probably know that the Supreme Court heard oral arguments yesterday in the most important abortion case in our generation. Really, this was the case of a lifetime. It's what pro-life activists have been working for for so long. And so I've just really felt a longing, a desire to get on here and produce all things episode 74. Felt like it was a great reason to come out of the month break that I took and um, just bring this story to you and to help you think through the implications and consequences of what happened yesterday at the Supreme Court. So the U.S. Supreme Court opened yesterday with oral arguments in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. So Thomas E. Dobbs is the state health officer of the Mississippi Department of Health, and the Jackson Women's Health Organization is the only licensed abortion center in the state of Mississippi. And there is currently a law on the books in Mississippi, and it's meant to protect unborn babies from abortion from 15 weeks of gestation. So Abortion is only legal in Mississippi before a pregnancy reaches the age of 15 weeks. So the specific question in this case is whether or not the state of Mississippi has a right to protect the unborn life, to protect the fetal life. And the state of Mississippi, of course, says, yes, we do have that right. But the Jackson's Women's Center says, no, in light of Roe versus Wade, you don't have that right. So this case is really about the constitutionality of a law in Mississippi known as the Gestational Age Act. This is a law that was enacted by the Mississippi State Legislature, and it was signed into law by Mississippi's governor. You probably know, or you may not know, that about half of the states in the United States have laws on their books that limit abortion in some way. So Mississippi is not the only one. In fact, just recently on episode 71 of All Things, which I recorded back in October, I talked about the recent Texas abortion law that bans abortions in that state after a fetal heartbeat is detected, which is usually at around six weeks of gestation. So these state laws, which have gone through through the local and rigorous process of being proposed, debated, and voted upon in state legislatures are in conflict with the Supreme Court ruling of Roe versus Wade, which was made back in 1973. So the Supreme Court agreed to hear this case largely because instances like this keep coming up. How are we going to deal with state laws repeatedly conflicting with a Supreme Court ruling that is now about 48 years old? So the question is this, do states have the constitutional authority to legislate restrictions or bans on abortions in their own states? Can states do that? Or do all states have to bow to and submit to Roe, which was decided back in 1973? So to get to the bottom of that question, oral arguments were heard yesterday. Now, oral arguments, if you don't know, are where a case is formally presented before all of the Supreme Court justices. 
both sides in the case have already had the opportunity to present their arguments in writing well before yesterday. And then yesterday, the oral arguments were made before the justices and the justices had an opportunity to ask questions of both sides, to press in, to make clarifications or to make comments. So it's really interesting as an observer to watch oral arguments unfold because sometimes it gives you an indication of what the justices may or may not be thinking, or even perhaps places where one side or the other is presenting a weakness or a strength. What's really very cool about oral arguments is that it's a very dignified and ordered process. This is a situation where you're not going to be hearing any snazzy sound bites. There's no politicizing of anything. There's no silliness or mockery or gotcha moments. Really, oral arguments are very cerebral. It's a very intellectual process. It's a a process that requires a lot of deep thinking, deep processing. And so you really get kind of the best of the arguments on both sides when you hear oral arguments. So if the court rules in favor of this existing law, if the court says that yes, Mississippi can have that law and it can stay on the books, that you can indeed restrict abortion access in the state of Mississippi, then that is going to undermine Roe. That is actually probably going to even overturn Roe versus Wade. The court is expected to make its decision in June or to at least release its decision in June. So we have quite a ways to go in terms of waiting. They heard arguments yesterday. They will no doubt have a conference and meet and discuss it today. But you and I are not going to hear the outcome for another six to seven months. Now, if Roe is overturned, there are two truths that you and I need to hold in tension at the same time. The first truth is that that's a very good thing. It is worthy of our joy and celebration if Roe is overturned. It is good and right to overturn Roe versus Wade. It is good and right to outlaw the taking of a vulnerable life. It is the right moral move for the United States to overturn Roe. Now, the second truth that we need to hold at the same time is that while overturning Roe would be very good, it will not make abortion illegal throughout the country. The legality of abortion will be determined then by individual states. Some states are very liberal and some states are very conservative and their approaches to abortion are going to reflect that. So if Roe is overturned, there is reason to celebrate. But also if Roe is overturned, we still have a ton of work to do, both legislatively on the ground in each state and also in terms of serving vulnerable populations in each state. So we'll circle back to that later what our response should be either way. But right now, let's take a minute to understand why Roe is so fragile. Why is this ruling so fragile? How is it possible that what the pro-abortion movement loves to call settled law or a constitutional right or a legal right in the United States, why is it actually so fragile? Why can it be overturned by one random case from Mississippi? Just one stroke of a pen next June could change history in our country. Why is that? Well, to put it succinctly, the Supreme Court brought this law into the world and it can take it out of it. It's that simple. The role of the Supreme Court is not to legislate. The Supreme Court is not meant to make laws. 
We have a legislative branch that is made up of the House of Representatives and the Senate, known collectively as our Congress. Among other things, our legislative branch is meant to make our laws. The role of the Supreme Court is judicial. The role is to judge, namely to interpret the words of the Constitution as they were meant at the time that the Constitution was written and enacted. So the Supreme Court should never be legislative, and it was with Roe. It created a new law with Roe. That's not the role of the Supreme Court. So back in 1973, um, with the stroke of a pen, abortion was made legal across the country. And the Supreme Court legislated that, but the Supreme Court is meant to be, it's meant to be judicial. It is meant to judge. So does the constitution, the question that we need to address now is does the, that we addressed back in 1973 and need to address now is does the constitution, specifically the 14th amendment, protect a woman's right to an abortion? So that's the judgment that needs to be made. Does the Constitution, does the 14th Amendment protect a woman's right to an abortion? The reality is the Constitution does not mention abortion at all. You will not find that in there. The reality is there is no good reason to believe that the 14th Amendment, being understood at the time it was ratified, was meant to protect abortion rights. In fact, if anything, the 14th Amendment protects the life of the preborn baby. The issue of the legality of abortion is one that should have always been left to the legislative process, a process where the people have a chance to weigh in with their voices and local governments form laws based on the democratic process and the votes of their constituents. So Roe is fragile because the Supreme Court legislated rather than leaving that process to each state, just as it was enacted with a stroke of a pen, so it can be overturned. Not only that, but it was a law originally enacted with faulty reasoning. You just cannot read the Constitution and find any verbiage that indicates a woman can take the life of her child. Like I said, abortion is not in in the Constitution. So if a woman desires to take the life of her child, or even if she deems it necessary to do so, you're not going to find anything resembling that in the Constitution. Thankfully, the Supreme Court has overturned poor decisions in the past. If Roe is overturned, it will not be the first time that the court has done that. While the court doesn't do that often, it is not super unusual. The Supreme Court has overturned more than 250 of their decisions in the past, including several dozen decisions that <clears throat> were older than Roe when they were overturned. And Roe is now 48 years old. Probably the most famous Supreme Court ruling that overturned another was Brown versus the Board of Education in 1954, and that overturned Plessy versus Ferguson, which was in 1896, and that overturning started the process of ending segregation. So thank God for that. Thank God that the Supreme Court was able to overturn an original poor judgment. You hear so many in the pro-abortion movement saying that this abortion law is settled law. But thankfully, we have a process for overturning settled law. When you know better, you do better. So thankfully, we can indeed overturn bad laws. Now, the Supreme Court does have a doctrine or a way of thinking called stare decisis. Those are two Latin words, stare decisis. And this is a practice that prevents the court from using its rulings for the justice's own personal agendas. The justices agree that we do need stability and continuity. So when discussions are had, 
the justices will address stare decisis, meaning they'll ask what laws are now standing, what is already on the books, how have we handled this specific you know, type of situation in the past, and they make an effort to maintain continuity with former rulings or former decisions. But stare decisis is only a principle. It's not a formal rule in the Supreme Court. It doesn't actually forbid the court from moving forward. And I'm so glad for that. Thank God for that, because the Supreme Court doesn't always get it right. It's good that they can address past rulings that were made wrongly or made poorly, and they can address them and then correct them now. It seems very likely, maybe even probable, that our current justices might see the original Roe ruling as one that needs correction. Out of our nine current justices, it looks like five of them at least seem very open to reversing Roe and leaving abortion decisions to state legislatures or to Congress, our legislative branch. So when you hear people say abortion is settled law or abortion is constitutional or abortion has decades of precedent, I'd encourage you to be bold and remind the person that you're chatting with or whoever's saying that of other settled laws, other things our nation has gotten wrong and then thankfully made right. Just because the Supreme Court said in 1973 that the Constitution protects a woman's right to abortion doesn't actually mean that the Constitution does that. It was a poor ruling to begin with, and it deserves to be overturned now. So in addition to all of that, I want to point out that there were a number of interesting things that were said yesterday by justices who we know are on either side of this issue. It was observed by a number of people that Justice Sonia Sotomayor was especially agitated during the hearing. Regarding the pain of pre- a preborn baby feels, Justice Sotomayor claimed that only a, quote, gross minority of doctors believe fetal pain occurs prior to viability. She said these doctors are on the fringe and don't add anything helpful to the current abortion conversation. Sadly, I just want to say Sotomayor is either ill-informed or she's depending on very old data because numerous studies that have emerged in recent years, studies conducted, by the way, by pro-choice doctors, reveal that pre-born babies feel pain as early as 12 weeks of age. Sotomayor also said that a fetus that recoils at being dismembered doesn't necessarily indicate that it feels pain. And she likened that baby to someone who is brain dead. It's hard to imagine a more insensitive or more barbaric comment when it comes to our most vulnerable populations. In addition to whether or not preborn babies feel pain, the justices also asked questions about fetal viability. So when Roe versus Wade took place back in 1973, um, it was believed that fetuses were not, vi- or it was practiced, sorry, it was practiced, it was reality that fetuses were not viable until at least 28 weeks of age because of the technology and the um, just the medical capabilities that we have had in our NICUs, a baby born um, it had a baby needed to be born in a, at at least 28 weeks of age or more to be considered viable. But now babies are viable as early as 21 weeks of gestation. 
But honestly, really, that is beside the point. I appreciated Justice Alito, who said, the fetus has an interest in having a life, and that doesn't change, does it, from the point before viability to the point after viability? Human rights, the right to life, should never be based on viability. We must not only grant rights to people who are strong and powerful, but to everyone. It's unjust in every way to uphold the powerful while diminishing the rights of the weak. Um, I also appreciated hearing from Chief Justice John Roberts, who we um, who observed the court know uh, Roberts is hard to pin down on the issue of abortion. We're not quite sure where he lands, but he said, if you think that the issue is one of choice, viability, it seems to me, doesn't have anything to do with choice. If it really is an issue about choice, why is 15 weeks not enough time? Those who were advocating yesterday for the Jackson Women's Health Organization said that the Mississippi law goes against decades of precedent and that the it would propel women backwards by requiring them to continue unwanted pregnancies. They said the court has never revoked a right that's so fundamental to so many Americans and so central to their ability to participate fully and equally in society. And that sort of gets to the crux of the matter, doesn't it? They say, you know, the a woman needs to be able to have an abortion to fully participate equally in society. As a nation, we have said having a baby prevents you from participating in society. It's a tremendous grief that we as a people have made eliminating a preborn life more attractive than protecting it and bringing that baby boy or girl into the world. As a people, we've got to search our souls and ask, how did we get here? How did we in the United States get to this point? How have we allowed for 48 years of uncreative, one-dimensional, short-sighted destruction of life through abortion? Why haven't we chosen instead to protect unique and irreplaceable and vulnerable lives with all we've got. You and I must promote through creativity and the creation of society-wide values and programs and policies that would protect all lives at all costs. The losses we have endured as a people over the last 48 years are huge. This shocked me when I read this today. Did you know that we have actually eliminated between 20 and 25% of our entire population over the last 48 years? It's true. We've had about 4 million births a year, but we should have been having about 5 million. We've eliminated over 63 million lives out of our 333 million lives in this country. Almost one-fourth of us are missing. That is a huge loss. Now, if you put these losses in a global context, globally, we are also outliers. Out of nearly 200 nations in the world, only seven countries allow for elective abortion after the 20th week of pregnancy. Those seven countries are North Korea, China, Canada, Vietnam, Netherlands, Singapore, and the United States of America. There we are, standing in agreement and practice with some of the world's most violent regimes. So, friends, to sum up, Roe should be overturned for so many reasons. Some of those reasons are purely legal. Abortion is not protected by the Constitution. The judicial branch of our government should not be legislating. 
Some other reasons are moral or philosophical. All human lives deserve protection, regardless of age or viability. All human lives deserve protection, regardless of whether or not they feel pain. And another reason that Roe should be overturned is that women deserve better. Abortion is actually a sign that we have failed women. When women who are vulnerable feel abortion is their only option, we have failed. When women who are not vulnerable but choose abortion because a new life, a new human life in their world doesn't align with their goals, we have failed. I've shared the following statistics with you before, and I'm going to share them with you again on this um, episode. They'll also be in my book that comes out in March. But here's what's true. More than 90% of post-abortive women said they weren't given enough information to make an informed choice. More than 80% said they probably would not have aborted if they hadn't been so heavily encouraged to do so. 83% said they would have carried their babies to term if they had had more support in their lives. Again, we have failed women. When women choose abortion, not only do we lose the life of the baby, but we often lose the vulnerable mother too. Maybe not literally, but we definitely lose a part of her. After a woman has had an abortion, she suffers a 110% increase in risk of alcohol abuse. She suffers a 155% increase in risk of suicide. She suffers an 81% increase in risk of mental health conditions, 34% increase in risk of anxiety, 37% increase in risk of depression. You guys, we know better and it's time to do better. As of 2017, there were approximately 2,300 crisis pregnancy centers in the United States and only 808 abortion clinics. We are out there. We are doing the work. We have not shirked this responsibility. There are, in fact, vibrant, helpful, thriving, essential crisis pregnancy centers or pregnancy resource centers, far more than abortion clinics. Women do not need abortion. They need care. They need equipping. They need, need creative empowering so they can protect their own lives and the lives of their children as well. We already have the framework to serve women. The Christian church is already doing it. Like I said, we have not been shirking it. Don't let anyone tell you that we have. True followers of Jesus are absolutely involved in serving the poor and marginalized. They're in foster care. They're in adoption. They are actively resourcing women in crisis pregnancies. We already are pro all of life. We are not just pro birth and saying otherwise is a tactic in diversion. And it's simply not true. I think that that statement might be true of cultural Christians or consumer Christians, but it's not true of those who truly follow Jesus. We are already deeply entrenched in this game. So whether or not Roe gets overturned, and I'm praying that it does, it's the right thing to do in this country, but whether or not that happens, we who follow Jesus must give our lives to serving others, to serving the vulnerable. And who is more vulnerable than a woman without support and resources facing an unplanned pregnancy and the baby in her womb? These are the least of these whom we are called to serve. So let me end with this, a call to pray. 
The justices are going to be meeting today, having a conference about what happened yesterday. Pray for that. Pray for a majority who be, who will be willing to overturn Roe. Keep praying for the next six to seven months for these justices. Pray that they would have wisdom. Pray that they would seek justice and righteousness for our land. Pray for our nation, for crisis pregnancy centers. Pray for abortion clinics and abortion workers, that they would see the light. This fight that we are in is not only physical, but it is also absolutely spiritual. And friends, let's be bold. Pro-lifers have been silenced far too much. I'm afraid we are way too quiet. I think we feel like our view is maybe so unpopular or old-fashioned or outdated or um, just seen as backwards or bigoted that we are afraid to speak up. Do not be afraid. You who are pro-life are on the right side of history. I think one day we are going to look back on these decades of abortion and view them the way we now view the Holocaust or chattel slavery. We're going to see it as a horrible, preventable, evil scourge on our society. So go and make bold statements. Ask those who are pro-abortion good questions and match your actions with your words. You don't have to change the whole world, but what can you and I do right here, right now, right where we are? With Christmas approaching, I know all of our thoughts are turning to the birth of Jesus. He is the light of the world. So let me leave you with this final thought. John 1, 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So go, friends, and shine brightly. Thanks for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now.